Good morning. So, I love to read. One of the realities uh, about me that I've just had to accept over my long life is that I do not always hold on to and remember everything I read. In fact, uh, sometimes you could say I hold on to very little of what I read. I can't retain it. I have to go back and refresh my mind on things. I wish that weren't the case. And in fact, sometimes I am rather envious of those of you who can read something and hold on to those facts and those ideas and then uh, turn around at any, any given moment and pull it out when you need to use it. I am jealous that I can't do that. I, I want to be able to do that, but I can't. And one day as I was getting in my car to come to church, I felt this desire to really be able to hold on to what I read, to to, to be able to carry it with me and use it in conversation or preaching or whatever, I felt it so strongly that as I strapped on my seatbelt to head to the church, I, I prayed it out. I found myself praying it out uh, very clearly. I said, God, I just wish you'd make me so that I could hold on to this stuff, remember it, and know these things. And I immediately got a reply back from God. It was not an audible reply. It might as well have been because it was that clear. Uh, it was uh, that strong. It was burned into my brain and my heart. I've only had this happen maybe five or six times in my life, so it's uh, very important to me when things like this happen. And the reply I got back was this. Your gift will not be what you know. It will be who you are becoming. Your gift will not be what you know. It will be who you are becoming. And I considered that in that moment a word from God for me. It brought me comfort. It brought me clarity. And then I realized something. That is not just true of me. That is true of every single person. That is true of everyone. It is true for you, however smart or clever you may be, however good you may be at holding on to what you've known or learned or read. It is true of you, however slow or forgetful or absent-minded you may be. It is true of all of us. Your gift to God, my gift to God, and to the world are the same. Who we are becoming. The late uh, Dallas Willard, a follower of Jesus with a brilliant, brilliant uh, philosophical mind, put it this way. Now, nah, you know what? I just lost connection here. Take me to that one, would you? The main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, it's the person you become. The main thing God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, it's the person you become. In our passage for today, we have a summary passage of what took place after the Holy Spirit came and fell on those early followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in this passage, we are told that once these early followers of Jesus came to faith, once they received the Spirit, something happened. We're going to reread that passage. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. No, too far. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're going to talk about how these things happen in a few minutes. But first, what I want us to notice are the results. The results 
of what happened to these early followers of Jesus after Pentecost. First, everyone, outsiders and insiders, everyone was filled with awe. Believers were together and had everything in common. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All these things are example of, examples of the fruitfulness that can happen in our church, in our community, when we faithfully seek to live into our ECC touchstone of presence. We can become in our community what author and psychologist Kurt Thompson refers to as outposts of beauty in the world. Outposts of beauty. Places where the kingdom of God is evident and flourishing and transforming everything it touches. Now, a touchstone, by the way, for any of you who might be new here at ECC, is a standard or a criterion by which we measure all that we do. And our ECC touchstones are welcome, transformation, and presence. And by welcome, we mean we are a place of hospitality, grace, and community for all people. By transformation, we mean that we provide resources and relationships for the journey from curiosity to Christiformity. Christiformity, Christ formed in us, comes from Galatians 4.19. It's the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Christ fleshed out in us and transforming us. And then by presence, we are commissioned as agents of change and redemption in community with one another and into the world. The results we see at work in Acts 2, 42 to 47 are the results of these early followers of Jesus who are becoming the very presence of Christ in their community. So much so that everyone was filled with awe. And people were added to their number daily. This is the fruit we hope to see born in our community as well. But for that to happen, we need to more fully live into the touchstone of transformation. If we are, if we're going to do that, we need to be more fully in touch with God and able to grow in our faith so that we can be the presence of Christ in our homes, in our communities, in our world. Our feet need to be firmly planted on and moving forward on that pathway toward Christiformity. And here's the truth about transformation. We've said it before. We do not drift into Christiformity. We do not drift into spiritual maturity. It takes intentionality. So this brief preaching series over the next three Sundays we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 42 to 47 and a few other passages and in and through them we're going to consider three words intentionality connection and community intentionality connection and community today we are considering intentionality and by intentionality we mean this the fact of being deliberate or purposive now if you're like me you said wait purposive that's not a word it is. The British invented it. They also invented English. So we're going to go with it. And that's how you say it. Purposive. Oxford English Dictionary. I will probably never say it again as long as I live. But there it is. All of us do intentional things every day. We have to. We intentionally get out of bed in the morning. We intentionally hit the snooze button two or three times before we get out of bed. 
We pay the bills. We brush our teeth. We buy our food. We cook our food. We eat our food. Even eating food is an intentional act. Now, I too often also eat food without paying much attention to when I'm eating it, what I'm eating, or how much I'm eating it. But the basic fact is the same. We have to be intentional to take nourishment into our bodies. It is an important, intentional act. The same is true of our lives as spiritual beings. We see this kind of intentionality at work in our passage from Acts 2, and the key word here is devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Greek word uh, for devoted means this, to be steadfast, constant, and unremitting to something. To be steadfast, constant, and unremitting to something. These first believers, after the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit has fallen upon them, they were devoted to these four things. The teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. We're not going to talk a lot about those things and what they mean. The point is, there were things they were devoted to and intentional about. These four actions are about engagement with Scripture, They are about sharing life together with one another as sisters and brothers in Christ. They are about taking part in communion and in sharing meals together. And they are about praying together and for one another. We had a second passage read this morning. 2 Peter 1, verses 3-8 through is all about intentionality as well. These are the words of the Apostle Peter to young churches and followers of Jesus. These are the words of the Apostle Peter to us. Let's start at the bottom, at the end of that passage, and work ourselves uh, back up to the top of it. Verses 5 to 7. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Now that, that phrase, make every effort, is an important one. It's only explicitly stated one time here, but it's implied six more times in this passage. Seven times we are told explicitly or implicitly to make every effort to add something to something else. And it begins with faith. It begins with faith because that's where we all start. We come to know Christ. We exhibit the smallest bit of faith necessary for Christ to enter into our lives. And once we have faith, Peter says, there is work to be done. There is work to be done. There's a whole lot more for us to be able to experience and encounter on the path to Christiformity. So make every effort to add these things to your faith. And we, if we've been in church for a while, might hear that and think, this sounds like a whole lot of work. This sounds like I'm trying to earn something from God. I'm trying to earn God's favor, God's grace, God's forgiveness. I thought, I thought coming to Christ was all about the, a free gift of grace. And indeed it is. The Apostle Paul tells us that elsewhere. But we need to make a distinction between earning and effort. Between earning and effort. Once again, Dallas Willard. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. God cannot love us any more than he already does, and he will not love us any less. Regardless of how much effort we do or do not put into these things. And yet, we are instructed to make every effort 
to add seven more things to our faith in Christ. Seven to the Jewish mind, the Hebrew mind being the complete number. Seven more things we are to add. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now, if all of that seems overwhelming to us, we need to notice a couple of things. We need to notice a couple of points of grace. In the very next verse, verse 8, Peter writes this, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, Peter is not saying that if we fail to add these things to our faith, Christ will disown us. He will not. Peter is saying that if we fail to do so, we will become ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of Christ. In other words, we will not get to experience all that God has for us, but we will not lose our salvation. We'll simply miss out. And I would add, others around us will miss out too. Peter is not saying that these things must be perfect in order for us to be effective and productive in our knowledge of Christ. He's inviting us simply to keep growing in these things. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Increasing measure. We, we don't have to completely fill up with faith before we can move on to goodness. We don't have to reach the end of perseverance before we can move on to godliness. He's saying that the goal is to grow in all of these things all the time. The goal is to continue to walk the path toward Christiformity. And as we grow in these things, it will make a difference in how we live our lives and in what others, who others see at work in our lives. We will become more effective and more productive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. There's one more thing I want us to see. We have to back up to the first few verses. If we are feeling overwhelmed by Peter's expectations of us, we can take heart. Verse 3, his God's divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Once we have come to faith in Christ, we have everything we need for a godly life. We do not have to muster up the strength and force ourselves to do what is not in us. Rather, we learn to partner with the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and to allow the Spirit to transform us and to teach us and to lead us. We have everything we need. You have everything you need. It's already in you and accessible to you. Verse 4. Through these, his divine power, his glory, and his goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We can participate in, we can share in, draw from, live out of God's divine nature. God is with us. Emmanuel, that's what the name Emmanuel means. God with us. 
We don't have to be super spiritual beings who always get everything right to do these things. We just need to trust in God's presence. And and the reality of God's divine nature living within us. And we need to be intentional about it. We need to be intentional about it. Or as St. Augustine put it, when it comes to our transformation, without God we cannot, without us God will not. It's a partnership. No, we will not drift into spiritual maturity. Transformation is an intentional partnership with God and God's Spirit at work in us and through us. That partnership, that intentionality involves a few things that are at work in our lives. And one of the ways to demonstrate this is with the triangle of transformation that we have shared with you on occasion. Uh, We're just going to look at this briefly and then I'm going to walk through it. There is a, a version of it in the Bible App Live event as well. The triangle of transformation... At the center is the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. All of us who have come to know and put our faith and trust in Christ. The Spirit enables us, empowers us, and leads us as we surrender our lives to God. And then the three angles of the triangle are made up of Jesus' narratives and life events there at the top. Soul training exercises, bottom left, and then community. When we refer to Jesus' narratives, we don't mean the stories about Jesus or the stories that Jesus told. At least we don't mean those things alone. We mean that there are in the world false narratives we live by. And then there are true narratives about who God is and how God works in the world that we can choose to live by. A false narrative might be that God is angry. James Bryan Smith sums this up false narrative up in his book, The Good and Beautiful God. He says that a false narrative tells us that God is an angry judge. If you do well, you will be blessed. If you sin, you will be punished. And then Jim Smith goes on to say that this narrative in his experience and according to some polling data that he cites is the most prevalent narrative about God among Christians. And I can say from my own experience that I would agree. This False narrative is the most prevalent narrative about God among Christians. God is an angry judge. If you do well, you will be blessed. If you sin, you will be punished. But Jesus' true narrative is God is good. Period. Full stop. God is good. As we get to know Jesus... As we engage in scripture, these true narratives of Jesus shape us and form us and disciple us. But if we live by the false narratives of the world, they will disciple us instead. They will disciple us instead. And then there are life events. And that is the ordinary trials and temptations and tests of life. If we are alive, friends, we will all face these things and they will shape us. We will all face these things and they will shape us. They will shape us one way if we seek to deal with them on our own. And they will shape us a different way if we do so by intentionally partnering with the Holy Spirit. Learning from the true narratives that Jesus has for us and placing ourselves in community with other sisters and brothers in Christ. They're going to shape you. These trials, these temptations, these tests, they're going to shape you one way or or another. 
So put another way, we are all being transformed by something. The question is, are we seeking to be transformed by Christ into Christiform people, or are we allowing ourselves to be transformed by something far less than that? Maybe even something that is downright evil. Jesus' narratives and the ordinary life events, trials, tests, and temptation. Then at the bottom of the triangle, we found soul training. Soul training exercises are the intentional practices that we engage in. Reading, meditating on scripture, prayer, silence, solitude, service, generosity, the list goes on. If you want to learn more about some of these, I encourage you to go to the web address on your screen, ecclife.net slash soul training. When I got back from sabbatical, one year ago, one of the things that I shared with you on, in the sermon on August the 29th, 2021, was that one of the key words that God has, had given me as I re-entered ministry was transformation. Transformation. In September of 2021, pastors and directors went on a two-day prayer and planning retreat. We, we did several important things during those two days in September, and we spent a lot of time in prayer around those things. A lot of time seeking to listen to the Holy Spirit. And out of that retreat came those three strategic initiatives for 2022. First, to launch an ECC care team that will offer one-on-one care to those in need at ECC and in our community. As of this morning, we have a leader for the care team, Kelly Holland. We have 11 people interested in becoming a part of that care team. And we have, uh, these are people who will commit to walking with others in need. And we have training sessions set toward the end of this month for those care team members. So we plan to pray over and to launch this care team early this fall. Second strategic initiative was to search for and call an effective and successful pastor of young adults. Our search committee began meeting late last fall, and as of two weeks ago, we officially called Pastor Chuck Potts as ECC's pastor of young adults. He and his family have now found a place to live and will likely be joining us here in the service in the third week of August. Third, to launch a thriving life groups ministry. Now, by God's grace, our wildly important goal is to double the number of people currently involved in what we call small groups now, going from approximately 75 people in small groups to 150 people in life groups by September 30th, 2022. As of this morning including those who are currently in groups and want to become life groups, including new folks who aren't currently in a small group but are interested, and uh, families with younger children. As of this morning, we have 120 people interested. Yes. 30 more to go, and I think we can do even better. And it gets even better. Turns out we probably don't have 75 people currently in small groups. We have more like 50-something. So we've already doubled it. Let's see if we can triple it. Our life group's leadership team is continuing to meet and we're going to hold uh, initial training sessions for life group leaders on Wednesday evening, September the 7th. If I can get that over there. I turned too many pages. There we go. If you are currently leading a small group, or if you desire to be a life group leader, or if you're even thinking that sometime in the future you might possibly be interested in becoming a life group leader, you are invited to take part in this training event. We're going to give you more details as we get 
nearer to the date. There is nothing truly radical about life groups in terms of why we do them, what we do in them. There's nothing radical about it. What is radical is the emphasis we're putting on them. When we prayed over all of this almost a year ago, we sensed from the Spirit that life groups were going to be an essential part of our touchstone of transformation. That in and through life groups, God would do amazing things and would make us into something here at ECC, into something good and beautiful and true for the glory of God, for our own abundant lives in Christ and for the good of our neighbors. Outposts of beauty in our community because the best gift that we can give to God to ourselves or to our neighbors, is who we are becoming. The three dots in the middle of that O in groups, the talk bubble, the three dots in the logo are meant to imply something. Honestly, the first, my first thought was, the first iteration of this had dots in there, but they were in a different formation quickly decided we didn't like that and then I thought you know what would be cool is if they look like the dots on your phone when people are texting you so we tried it and we decided we liked it but we couldn't figure out why until we realized oh oh those dots are an ellipsis now if you dig into what an ellipsis is it gets really good an ellipsis is a form of punctuation that suggests that there's more to be said more to be considered. They suggest a sense of anticipation. So on our phones, in our very computer design and programming, they are sometimes used to indicate that there is more. Even in the Bible app live event, if you're reading a passage from the Bible in the live event or in the Bible app, you will see sometimes a little rectangle above a verse with three dots in it, an ellipsis. And if you click on that, it's going to take you to a cross-reference, a study note, or an alternate translation. It tells you that there is more to be learned and discovered here if you click on it. The ellipsis in the logo suggests the same. There is more. There is more to life in Christ beyond the promise of eternal life. There is eternal, abundant life even now. There is more to life than merely surviving. There is victory, there is grace, and there is God's divine nature living within us. There is transformation. To the point, the Apostle Peter wants wants us to make every effort to partner with God's divine nature living within us, that we may become more and more and more like Jesus. He wants us to be effective and productive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. To the point, we want you, I want you to prayerfully consider being a part of a life group this fall or in the not too distant future, if at all possible. I believe they are key to who God wants us to become here at ECC. And if you haven't signed up, I encourage you to do so. You can go to the website, the the address at the bottom, or you can hold your camera up and it'll take you straight to the place where you can sign up for them or at least give us a bit of your interest in them. Read about life groups there. Prayerfully consider becoming a part of one. Click on the button on the page. Answer a few questions and hit submit. There's also a link in the Bible app live event. Life groups are a journey toward becoming. 
And they are a journey that we take together as a community. As it says in the old African proverb, if you want to go somewhere fast, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. You go together. We want to go far when it comes to becoming more and more like Jesus. We want to go far when it comes to sharing and demonstrating the good news of Jesus Christ in word and deed in our community and in our world. We want, to, we want our lives, our, our presence to bear fruit for the kingdom of God in the world. And so we go together. We go together. One last word. For some of us, because of personal life challenges, because of our current life stage or our health, we will not be able to do as much as we would like, as much as we might have done in another season. We may not be able to engage in some of the soul training exercises. We may not be able to be a part of a life group right now. So I want you I want, to, I want to make sure to offer a word of grace to you. I want you to hear this word. First, if you are not able to be in a life group right now, God's grace is sufficient for you. God can and will meet you wherever you are. You will mean no less to me or to ECC or certainly to God if you do not become a part of a life group. All I ask is that you choose to do what you can in order to continue your journey down the path that leads to Christiformity. Be intentional in what you can do. To quote author and teacher Jan Johnson, when it comes, and you've heard this before, and you will hear it again, when it comes to making every effort, when it comes to being intentional about our own transformation, even taking part in life groups, she would say this, Do as you can, not as you can't. Do as you can, not as you can't. Don't raise the bar so high that you can't do it. What can you do? Do as you can, not as you can't. There is grace for that, and there is grace for you too. Would you pray with me? God, in your goodness, grace, and mercy... You have called us not just to yourself, but to one another. You have called us into the body of Christ to be members of that body. And you have given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your divine nature. Lord, I pray at whatever place any of us might be here this morning, in the room or online, I pray wherever we might be, that you would give us the grace, that you would give us, Lord, the hunger, the desire to take the next step. I ask you, Lord God, to meet us wherever we are. For those who can be a part of groups, God, I pray that you would nudge them in that direction. For those who can't, I pray they would know your grace. God, move us ever closer, ever further down that path to Christiformity, we pray. And may we bring you honor and glory in who we are becoming. And may we, in our lives as, as individuals, as households, and as a community, may we become true outposts of beauty for your kingdom and for your purposes. In Jesus' name.